Welcome to the Art and Science of Eating. I'm Jessica Begg, Registered Dietitian and Clinical Counselor. I worked for 15 years in programs for the treatment of eating disorders. I now help those that struggle with emotional eating and their relationship with their body. This podcast is where I answer questions to help people along this bumpy journey to creating peace with both food and their body. Hello, my lovely listener. Thanks for joining me again. This week, I have a question for you that was written in to me, and I want to thank that person for sending it in, but also to thank anybody that is thinking about sending in their questions. So please do keep them coming in. I can't continue doing the podcast without you. And we've got a small little group of listeners. So if you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, I have something that I'd like to ask Jessica, and I haven't yet, then I would really, really love to hear from you. So let's jump into this one. This one is from a a listener that was on my email list and I had put out the call to my email list as well. So please do join there. Um, I send out little weekly notes, Um, but it's from the listener that will use her first initial C. C writes, hi, Jessica, I've been listening to your podcast and am enjoying them. Thank you. Thanks, C. Every time I hear you invite listeners to send in questions, I think about how I would phrase mine. So this email is irresistible. I am doing a lot of reflecting on my relationship with food as I'm working to navigate my health and how it relates to my diet. I've had varying degrees of food sensitivities for decades from wheat and grains, dairy, sugar, all of the usual culprits, she writes. I've been tested for but not diagnosed with many conditions and diseases, but I suffer from digestive discomfort, weight gain, joint soreness, and and recently and most recently gallstones and a fatty liver. As this has been a long road of restricted eating for me, and she puts in quotations, and what I am realizing is a lot of diet culture thinking about good and bad foods and behavior, I have a lot of stress around what I should be eating and how it affects my body. This stress is compounded by my role as cook for our family. The best way I can phrase my question is this. How do you navigate restrictive eating in a way that does not become disordered when it comes to managing digestive symptoms or ailments? Okay, so that's the question from C. Gosh, this is a very medically complicated question that ultimately I would say you should see a dietitian at minimum, and I would suggest that you see a dietitian that understands healing from restrictive eating or disordered eating, and not that you've indicated in your question at all that you have an eating disorder, but they would be well-versed or should be about helping with the understanding of what you're thinking about and around good and bad foods and behavior and diet culture. Um, But to answer your question, see, with the general information that you've given me here and without your entire medical history, so keep in mind that this is not medical advice as with everything that goes on and said in this podcast, but to help you start thinking about some of the other possibilities as you discuss this and bring it back to your own personal health professional team. So I hear in your question that you're concerned about health and you want to make sure that you're doing everything that you can do to protect your health or at least maintain it as best you can. So first things first, I want you to know that whatever you choose to do to care for your body is the best choice. 
you know how you feel, you know how to care for your body and what is important to you and what decisions you make with that in mind is the best for you in the context of your life. So that includes your family, your work life, or if you're working from home, um, any kind of activities that you do. So you are your best kind of knower or seer of what's going on. By the time that people often come to see me, they've been shamed or felt shame for something that they may have thought they that they should have done better. My experience with working with all sorts of clients is that they've always made the best choice for them at the time. So please don't feel like you've missed something or that you, you know, that you should have caught anything earlier or anything to that degree. But so let's dive in here a little bit more. Where I would first start is to make sure that the food items that you've taken out or think that you should take out are actually needed to be removed from your diet. And this I would suggest going back to your family doctor, like I had mentioned, or seeing a dietitian to figure out what actually needs to be taken out. Because as you say that you have these food sensitivities that you've been tested for, but not diagnosed with any conditions, there's not enough concreteness in this comment to tell us, either you or me, definitively if you need to remove these foods out for health reasons or not. And that's really important of whether or not you need to. What I also want you to know that is some tests that you may have done, I'm not sure if this was the case for you, but this is good for other people to know and yourself, because if you've had the IgG food sensitivity test that's often offered by alternative health providers, please know that this test does not have any actual evidence to support its use. And in fact, the Canadian Society of Allergy and Clinical Immunology, the CSACI, which is a group of doctors that specialize in the area of allergy and immunology, um, have put out a position statement against the use of these tests. And I'll put a link in the show notes that show that has that paper. Um, but basically, what they say is, is that this test will show many false positives. So then people think that they should avoid all sorts of food, making um, eating and preparing foods very difficult to do so. And I'm hearing that in your in your email that you that you may be getting frustrated or that you're very stressed around what you should be eating or also cooking for your family. Cooking, thinking about what to eat, grocery shopping, all of these are really big and difficult tasks. So if you throw on needless hurdles like cutting out foods unnecessarily, it makes it nearly impossible to do. And to add to that stress, people may choose to still eat these foods because it's too hard to cut them out and then feel guilty needlessly because they never had any issues with these foods to begin with. So see, some of the foods that you've got listed in as intolerances are admittedly common allergens, but you need to go back to talking to your dietitian about this because some of the things that you said is kind of confusing to me in that you've said you've had varying degrees of food sensitivities for decades from wheat, grains, dairy, and sugar. So dairy and wheat are common allergens, as common as food allergies are, which they aren't as common as we think, but it is very rare to have a negative response to wheat and all grains. And more concerning that you've listed sugar sugar as one of your sensitivities. And this just may have been a confusion in the way um, that in, in the email. Because saying you have a sensitivity to sugar is like saying you have a sensitivity to water. 
Just like water, sugar is an integral and necessary part of every cell in our body. And yes, we can operate on ketones if people out there have or are considering doing the keto diet. If it's absolutely necessary if the optimal fuel sugar is not around but our brain really prioritizes sugar as its primary fuel source in that it works and functions much better on sugar sugar as a compound gets inappropriately confused with added sugar where there was a public health push for people to decrease not cut out to decrease the amount of added sugar they ate But what's unfortunate was at some point in this telephone game of disseminating information, someone, and I'll say hint, hint, people selling bogus health products, heard that, quote unquote, sugar is bad and decided that they should cut it out in its entirety. And that is not the case. The problem with thinking that sugar is bad is we need it as a primary fuel source. We, If we don't have it, we will then crave and often sometimes binge or feel out of control with food with with sugar. So this fuels this thought that sugar is addictive because now people feel out of control when they eat it, but really it's that your body desperately needs it so it's pushing to get it wherever it can. But this phenomenon also cut out super healthy foods that break down to sugar like fruits and all grains. In these foods we get the most important thing, sugar that our body needs, but also things like antioxidants and fruits, B vitamins and fiber and grains. So see, this is why I sus- suspect that someone may have made this mistake with you. So, okay, so it's a little bit of a roundabout way to answer your question. So after that, now we can kind of get to it. Your So your question is, how do you navigate restrictive eating in a way that does not become disordered when it comes to managing digestive symptoms or ailments? So in light of what I've said ahead of here is that it sounds to me that you may be thinking that you need to cut out more stuff than you need to. So that will dramatically ease the amount of possible restriction that you might do, might have to do and have is even just a, uh, not a necessary thing. But once you sort that out, there still may be some foods or a way of eating that may be better and align better with your digestion still. So if you're asking me that, then with your dietitian, you can start figuring out what is going on that's upsetting your stomach or that might be needed for any of the ailments that may improve with some changes in the way that you eat or in the way that you eat or what you eat. So in light of that, you or anyone else listening may have gotten some suggestions from a health professional of ways to eat or things to cut out to improve your health. So this is the next thing that I would suggest that you consider is that the food restrictions are only suggestions that are merely things to consider. So if you don't do them in the exact way that it was suggested, or you can implement them into your life the way that it best fits you. And that's how you should do it. Even speaking as a dietitian, it's not that I'm expecting that these restrictions or, or suggestions be implemented too rigidly. And Restrictions become particularly triggering when they're put in this rigidly, and particularly when we don't make them our own, that these suggestions become disordered when they're implemented as rigid rules, followed for fear of something bad that might be happen if, if that rule is not followed to the T. 
We can try to care for our body in a way to protect ourselves as best as we can from getting sick, from getting aches and pains, having to take medication. However, even after our best efforts, we likely will still have or get all of these things. We're going to get sick no matter what we do. We will get things that in our within our body that we will need to manage with medication. We'll get aches, we'll get pains, something that is going to happen to our body that we will have to manage. And while I say, don't just throw up your hands and say, forget it, I can't do anything, I have no no control over my body, I'm going to get sick regardless, I mean to say that not everything you do will make you sick, and therefore not everything you do will keep you healthy, that this is not a burden that you necessarily have to carry such a heavy load. Knowing that you can decide how much time and effort you want to put into whatever suggestion you're offered, knowing what kind of impact that will have on your body. So with that in mind, you can be a little bit more gentle about these, you know, quote unquote, food restrictions. And I wouldn't even usually, it's kind of a harsh word to use, but around these food restrictions that you've talked about, you can be a little bit more gentle knowing how much effort or how much impact, how much effort you want to put into it for the impact that you're going to get. And this obviously isn't the case for food allergies or something where you specifically can't eat something. Um, And usually those are really, you know, one item, two items. It tends to be a a little bit better to be managed. But again, I would suggest that you go back to your team. Okay, so lastly, C, I would also suggest going back to your team to evaluate if their food restrictions are needed for some of the things that you've listed as concerns. They may not be correlated. So as an example, let's just take your joint pain concern that you've listed here. Likely you or someone listening has been told or thought that the joint pain that they feel would improve if they lost weight. Actually, research has shown that no movement or activity, and it doesn't have to be a crazy amount, just walking or swimming here and there to keep the joints moving and strong, has actual better outcomes on joint pain than losing weight. Joint pain is neither lessened nor increased by the foods in, by any food in particular. Same thing with gallstones, that just because it's related to the gut, we may unconsciously think that we can prevent gallstones through food. And and no, that's really genetics. Now we may need to redistribute or make sure that you don't have too, too much fat at any one time, because when you have a fatty meal, your gallbladder contracts and a gallstone can move out of there and block the path. However, you could also get that same blockage after eating, say, your morning oatmeal because we're going to use bile acid, we're going to use bile through any point of digestion. So even though that kind of recommendation isn't necessarily going to protect you from having gallstone issues. So I say this to lessen your mental burden about this, not to just shut off and ignore your body and say, well, again, like there's nothing I can do, but a thoughtful choice on what you do, depending on how much control you have in each situation. And this can all be done with some open discussions with the caring medical team. See, if you don't have a caring medical team, dump the ones that you have and ask around to find ones that are. Okay, see, I hope that answers your question and gets you thinking about how you can be more compassionate with yourself and how you choose to care for your body. Let me know how that goes. Take care, everyone. 
This podcast is for education and information purposes only. Please consult your own healthcare team to discuss what is right for you and your care.